Good morning and welcome to Polk County This Week. On this week's edition, our friends at LakelandNow.com hosted a smart growth forum this week. And here is part of that forum. So in my business in news, there is a saying we use. Barry's going to be very familiar with the saying. It says, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, our Lakeland Now uh, readers are much more sophisticated and are interested in much more articles and things than things that just bleed. When we write about new apartments, subdivisions, or large businesses, we usually get a lot of responses from residents who want to stop all growth, or they want to wait until we have adequate roads, schools, and other infrastructure until we allow more growth. Is there a flaw with that position? And how do we balance the desire of people to move here with providing the infrastructure to accommodate the growth? I think I'd like to start with Ms. McCarley yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to answer that question. Mr. Rose is leering at me um, to answer this question. So I think the challenge for Lakeland is where we are sitting in proximity to Tampa and Orlando. Um, and we are in a, the fastest growing state really in the union right now. We have a lot of people who want to come here, who love our beaches, who love our weather, who love being near theme parks and they love having a great quality of life. So one of the struggles in balancing from a commission standpoint is how do we continue to approve varying land uses with what our community wants and, and, and thinks is most precious about our environment here and what we all love about Lakeland. So it's a constant battle in between choosing working with developers along with our residents to figure out what does work. When you talk about infrastructure, um, that is really the key to this, at least for my seat on commission right now, is looking at what we can handle and what we can't handle. Infrastructure costs a lot of money. I could bore you to death currently with how much a road costs. Um, the engineering that goes into a road. And one of the things I like to say to people in the public is you need a road to work, correct? You, it's just like a surgeon. You want to make sure that when you're driving on a bridge into Tampa that it holds you up and it doesn't collapse and nothing bad happens. Just like when you go into a medical facility, you want a doctor who has the most experience and who can diagnose the problem and, and handle it really well for you and have a good outcome. The same thing happens with roads. So a lot goes into the building of roads and where we put it. It's not as simple as, hey, we need an extra lane here. You don't want to have eminent domain. We don't want to knock down historic buildings. There's a lot that goes into just the simplification of trying to build better roads. So do we ask our developers to pitch in and, and build new roads for us whenever there is a new area that's coming on board? And one of the other things that we'll talk about at length tonight is funding. You know, we are constantly battling funding. If we look at I-4 and State Road 33 currently, it backs up. Um, on the eastbound side to go north to Polk City and south down into um, the Lakeland area. Well, that takes money and it takes a legislature to approve it. So these are very complicated issues and it's not as simple as some of us would, would like to think. And I like to joke too when I speak publicly that we're trying to apply common sense to government and that's kind of an oxymoron. I mean, we're, we do things a little different in the United States of America where we have a lot of checks and balances and we want to make sure things are safe and we don't arbitrarily just go throw roads up or bridges or uh, landlines or electricity. So it's a, it's a convoluted issue and it's really difficult, but I think we do try to balance it. And, and so that, that's the question. Yes. How, how are we doing our, that balance? How are we creating that balance? 
think that's the million dollar question, you know, for the room tonight. For us as electeds, we have to rely on our staff like Mr. Ruiz. We also mm -hmm. rely on people like Mr. Ralston that come in and talk to us that when there are people who want to develop and we have to deal with property owner rights too. So if a property owner had a pasture that was historically for cows and citrus groves and it no longer can bear that, it can't be used for that anymore and the family can't afford to pay taxes on that property, then they are allowed to sell it to whom they choose. And if they sell it to a client of Mr. Ralston's and that person decides and company decides to have um, build 100 houses there, then that's when it comes to the planning and zoning board. So it's a, it's a volume effect and I think that's something that we're all here to discuss and we probably have different, my view is very different probably from Mr. Ralston's as a developer. So I think, you know, that's what we're here to, to do. So I'll toss it to Gary if you want yes, to let him maybe absolutely. talk about I was, I was just about to do so. <laughs> Jim, I'm honored to follow in your footsteps, but you know, I, I think one of the issues that um, uh, people don't address, but could change things a lot for our quality of life, is the difference between where people live and where they work. The technical expression is called labor shed. So just maybe a quick show of hands. How many, I assume you all live in Lakeland, how many of you work outside Polk County? Hmm. Well, you're the minority, I have to tell you, based upon the Department of Economic Opportunity Analysis and their labor shed report from this year, 49.3% of the workers who reside in Polk County are employed outside the county. That, that means they don't work here. And they're not all in uh, uh, Orlando. About 42,000 of those are in Orange County, 27,000 in Hillsborough County. So the, the other side of the coin, which I think is distressing, is that we have um, about 90,000, actually 96,290 by their count, of people who work in Polk County but don't live here. And I think that's the biggest uh, uh, impact we have on quality of life. That's why the roads are congested. <laughs> you know, people driving to and from work. And the ramifications are terrible. Uh, if you have to drive an hour each day to work or more, you probably don't have time to go in and visit with your children at school. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, you may be too tired to help them with homework when they get home. So it, it's a big problem. And you're not involved in service organizations to help make this a better place to live. So my suggestion is we all think about how we get more jobs here mm. so that people who live here can work here. Very Thank good. you. Thank you so much. I'm going to move on. We're going to be coming back to that issue. But um, not many years ago, Lakeland City Hall was seen as a barrier to growth. Developers complained about red tape and bureaucrats interpreting regulations very strictly. More recently, several city commissioners have run for office on platforms of getting to yes and more quickly. And city procedures have been streamlined. Has this pendulum swung too far the other way? And Mr. Luntz, I think I'm gonna, as a developer, I'm gonna have you address that issue. Well, that's kind of a tough one since I have things in front of city. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will say there, that the phrase is often used uh, by developers who don't get what they want. Mm -hmm. uh, that there's too much red tape because they're not getting what they want. But at the same time, there is too much red tape in the wrong places. There are fiefdoms that exist within City Hall. There are people that hold power and don't let you get through certain things, and there's not a collaborative nature. 
Now that being said, there are certain there are certain pieces like Brian. Brian has a great building inspection department. They understand. Uh, I'll, I'll use an example. Uh, Summit was a unique project. Uh, had a had a very interesting timeline. And if you've ever built a building, you normally do it all. You have the interior designed and the exterior. It's submitted simultaneously. Uh, this was one of the tallest structures. Fire is notorious. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a a component where fire likes to do their own thing. Taylor was fantastic. Worked with us. City department worked with us to get that done. Now, from the perspective of has it swung too far? No. In okay. some regards, yes. In other regards, it's a matter of just balancing. I think that leadership is starting to get it right. Um, there are some some meetings just to have meetings, but that's that's bureaucracy. But it's not. If you were to go into Orlando right now, it's taking four months to get a permit. If you're working city of Jacksonville, you have to hire someone that their full-time job is to expedite permits. This city is accessible. This city is working on transparency. The city is doing a great job. I am glad that it is my city. I don't like working in other jurisdictions because I'm so spoiled with the quality of Lakeland. Hmm. So I don't think it's swung either way to answer your question. I think it's sitting in a very happy medium mm -hmm. with opportunities for growth. Uh, Mr. Ruiz, that should make you feel very good hearing that from a developer. I made note. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I, I have to ask you because he talked about a balance. And so as you look at this issue from, from, from the place of, well, everything is too, it's not, it's not streamlined and there are too many red tapes to the, the issue of is it swinging too far the other day way. How do you determine that balance? Well, <clears throat> good evening. I've, I've dodged the mic, I guess, as long as possible. Um, it, really, it, the answer to both questions is, is that we find that balance by listening to those that we serve. Mm -hmm. And it, no, everybody can't get their way, whether that's developer or individual members of the public that we would call stakeholders, but we listen to them. They elect commissioners like Sarah McCarley, who set the vision and set the policy and then set the staff about implementing that policy and they've done that mm -hmm. and and I don't know that it's for me to say whether the pendulum has swung too far one way or the other I think the public well, go ahead and say the, the public decides that yes. based on who they elect to the commission and the priorities that they communicate when electing those commissioners yeah mr. Bishop this is going to be a question for you how will changing technology in the fuels we use to generate electricity and run our cars affect where and how we grow? Let me, um, good evening everyone. Let, let me talk about, let's talk about energy for a few minutes. All right. Okay, energy, wealth, freedom, right? So energy has a direct tie to GDP. There's a one-for-one -one correlation across the globe for the amount of energy consumption per person to a per capita economic value. That leads to that that leads to wealth. 
and not because energy is GDP consumption, but because of the physics term work, right? We can we transport things, we can transfer things, we can produce goods and services as a result of energy consumption. That, in turn, drives prosperity. Prosperity is a result of the wealth and the energy that you have. You don't have to go gather wood for a warm shower. You don't have to gather water for drinking. That prosperity is a result of time and freedom that we give back to you about your day. You can cool your room. You can take a warm shower. You can live your life. You can pursue innovation and entrepreneurial things as a result of that energy always being there. So that was my stump speech. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the changing grid, right? Emerging technologies. EVs. I don't know if you saw the parking lot. There's a Tesla out there. There's a Volt. The, the EVs are coming. And they're going to be reliable and capable. There's still some in their infancy, but you're going to see more and more manufacturers putting those things out. That's going to be a thing that you're going to need to get your heads around. And, and I'm here to help you um, educate and engage with you on any questions you may have. Remember, Lakeland Electric's your trusted energy advisor. That, mm -hmm. That's what I'm here. I want us all to be prosperous. I, I want all that for everyone. So the, the changing grid, the changing technologies is still, there's a future. I'm not a crystal ball guy. As the economics make sense, as you continue to have a prosperous life, as the technologies are there for us to kind of in, embrace and utilize, that's when we do those things. I, I, want, a, I want a more carbon-free world. I, I want a better environment for my grandchildren. It's a matter of coupling that balance we've been talking about all night with the economics and the value proposition for you, along with when the technology mm -hmm. is, is right. So it's another one of those balances that we got to continue to work on. Thank you. Um, Mr. Uh, Ralston talked about the real issue of having to drive to get to work on roads that are not carefully cultured. I, I don't know if that's the right word in that term, but you understand what I mean. So I am thinking that the same would be true, that we're building, but the uh, technology, the electrical capabilities are not in place to be able to, to address the level of, of, of where we're going. So we could all be carbon free tomorrow. Um, hmm. Just got to pull your checkbooks out. So that's my point. It's a, we can do it. Um, it's just the matter amount of money you want to spend doing it. So um, it, 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 it's not all ready for prime time if you consider economics around it. And my job, first and foremost, is affordable for everyone here. And if that's, if that's what we're going for, the technology gets in, embraced when it becomes as economic as it is in value add. So that's the balance between the two. That's the balance. When I moved to Lakeland in the 80s, I remember the downtown area, and I also remember how at 5 p.m. downtown became a very still and a very quiet place. If you've lived here that long, you will also remember. So let's talk about those plans to bring more density to central Lakeland downtown area. We, we have seen a lot more development of apartments. There are plans for many more but most of them are aimed at higher income residents. Will Lakeland attract more uh, or enough high income renters to fill these apartments? Are we pushing middle income people out to the fringes where they stay reliant on cars for transportation while we work on a walkable 
and bikeable center city. Mr. Maxey, you have had to do a lot of work with diversity and uh, in, the, in the college setting, and, and you've, you've worked a lot in this area. How would you address that? Are we, in fact, and I know when it comes to maybe, maybe getting employers, we're going to have to go back and talk with Ms. Sarah here, but it, it, are, we, are we creating diversity, would you say, in how we're drawing people to the Lakeland area? I think we are thinking about creating diversity. I don't know if we're there yet. And part of what uh, we haven't done, in my opinion, is look far enough down the road in how we grow. Because mm -hmm. typically, right now, we're talking about the next 10, 15, 20 years. And in order to develop appropriately, we need to be thinking about the next 50 or 100 years and what we can do in that time span to make things better. Now, how it affects people in different communities, there is going to be an impact to people who don't have money. Because in every city, living in the core is more expensive. Mm -hmm. And the issue to me is not whether they can live downtown, but whether they can live in a safe and comfortable community uh, based on the amount of money they can make. Now, we are attracting companies that are bringing in high wages. Uh, my last couple of years at Poly, we brought in Molecule, which is a $100 million company based in San Francisco. And last year, we brought in um, the IFF, the International Flavors and Fragrances, which is a $5 billion company, to our community. So people will come, companies will come, and the issue is how do we address their need because they are going to want to have mm -hmm. some of the amenities that you might find in an Orlando or Tampa, and at the same time, we provide housing and opportunities for people who are on the lower economic end of, um, of living here. Thank you so much. So, um, Sarah, we have to ask, you know, will, will Lakeland be able to attract enough high-income renters to fill these apartments? I think one of the things we haven't talked about yet is education. And I think our public school system, for all of its strengths, we still have a lot of weaknesses. Until we can all wrap around our public school system and support them and really build a framework so people who do have higher educations and high-skill, high-wage professionals want to come here, bring their families here, have their families be in school here quickly and not be on a waiting list for a charter, not be on a waiting list for a magnet school, but have accessibility to quality education. I think, again, our public school system does really, really well, but I also think that's a place in the community where we need to strengthen as much as possible as volunteers and as community leaders. But that draws people. If you look at Lakeland Regional Medical Center or Lakeland Regional mm -hmm. Health and their graduate medical assistant or education program that is coming um, down the pike, which means that we would have interns, so primary care doctors, think about those types of internships at our local hospital. Where are they going to raise their families? Where are they going to put their children when they have children in school? Are they going to continue to live in Orlando or Tampa, commute in, mm -hmm. be on I-4 with the other 190,000 people that travel east and west and on I-4 every single day? We have a transportation planning organization meeting on Thursday, and I just saw that statistic this afternoon. That's just I-4 east and west every day. So are we going to have people utilizing our resources during the day and then leaving in the evenings and not having a sense of community because their families can't be here? And to Mr. Ralston's point, they can't be engaged in the school that so, their children's mm -hmm. in. So their children are in and attending. So I think that's a critical component of this and of how we can really 
make sure that Lakeland is not only a place we all want to be, but that it is a place for every social, socioeconomic mm -hmm. person on the spectrum can be here too, and they can have their children have a great education in the public school system, that they can have great jobs, and that they can have a great future that lies before them. But that's one of the key components, I think, to this discussion as well. Absolutely. Um, Carol, you've been in the healthcare uh, landscape for, for many, many years, and the landscape, I'm sure, looks vastly different than it did in the, in the 90s, the 80s. So with the legislator deregulating hospital growth and several private and nonprofit hospital groups uh, have either started building facilities in Lakeland or buying land for future growth, what will this mean for healthcare delivery and what it does or bodes for the future of health in, 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 in Lakeland? Thank you. Back in 2018, the Department of Health and Human Resources um, issued a report called <clears throat> Reforming America's Health System Through Choice and Competition. And the federal government encouraged states to repeal certificate of need laws. Is everybody familiar with certificate of need? No, okay. Certificate of need meant that if you wanted to build a new hospital, build a new nursing home, add beds to your hospital. You had to apply to the Agency for Healthcare Administration for a certificate of need. And you had to demonstrate the need. But it wasn't just, for instance, in Lakeland. If Lakeland Regional wanted to add beds or change their bed count, they would have to show that there was a need in what was called a specific geographic area called a fixed need pool. So it encompassed more than likely, it actually encompassed more than Polk County at the time when it was in existence. And CON has been in existence, was in existence for 50 years. And the thought behind CON was that it would reduce health care costs and it would improve quality of care and it would improve patient access. Well, that's Has not what happened. happened. That is not what happened. What it did was, and it would also reduce duplication of services. It increased cost because mm. you had monopolies in certain areas. It also limited patient access, particularly it showed racial disparity. And it, it did not improve the quality of care. We have a single hospital here in Lakeland at the present time. And in the measurement of quality, there are some, some particular, um, for instance, the federal government does a star system called CMS Compare. Lakeland is a one-star hospital on a five-star basis. On LeapFrog, which is another um, type of agency that measures quality, it's a C hospital. In communities that have multiple hospitals, you see more A hospitals, you see more four-star hospitals. So as you bring in competition, we will see Lakeland Regional will improve their quality of care because they're gonna have to compete with the other hospitals that come into town. They've got some time before we actually have additional hospital beds. 
and there will be a need. There was some question about whether or not the need assessment <clears throat> that Orlando Health did was based on the beds being so heavily utilized by COVID, but they actually presented, I had looked this up, they submitted their application in March of 2020. <clears throat> there was no COVID impact at that time. So we will have the need for those additional beds in the community. There still are restrictions on certificate of need for um, some specific areas like nursing homes and hospice, but we may see those go away also for the same reasons. Well, it, since, since the study shows that where there is competition, there is increase in care or in quality of care, what has been the drawback uh, this long in that we have had one hospital in Lakeland for many years? The CON, the Certificate of Need. And once, huh. remember, Certificate of Need did not get repealed and become effective as a repealed um, law until July 1st of 2019. So there was only a few months and, and before COVID came and nothing happened. But I will tell you, HCA had tried to come into this community 40 years ago. They originally were the ones who tried to um, buy Lakeland Regional from the city. And that's when the not-for-profit corporation was formed that manages Lakeland Regional. And then they tried to go on the south side, but CON prevented them from doing it. So hospitals have tried to come in, mm. but the certificate of need laws have prevented that. So it looks like, yes. I do. I do think there's an unintended consequence of certificate of need going away, because I think when you look at Orlando Regional, so for those of you, um, one of the things of sitting as a city commissioner is I'm basically a jack of all trades and a master of none, <laughs> right? Like I know enough information to be dangerous on a lot of different topics. However, on the certificate of need, for instance, when that went away and Orlando Regional Health was approved to come south of the parkway and have, you know, a presence there, which it'll be, um, I'm looking at Mr. Ruiz, it's going to be near the Sands area, basically, just south of the parkway. That'll be Orlando Regional Health. Well, Orlando Regional Health does not have to provide indigent health care services. Lakeland Regional will continue to provide indigent health care services. So you can't afford to go to the hospital. You can only really go to Lakeland Regional. And then what will happen is there will be funding streams and there will be, and this is what I asked the Orlando Regional Health people when I voted against them building their hospital south of the parkway, was tell me what your service lines are going to be. So what are the most profitable service lines? Cardiac, diabetes, pediatrics are not, you don't make profit on pediatric health care, ever. It's just, it's sort of a just basic line, you know, that goes across. So a lot of these, one of the hesitations in, although competition always breeds, better quality of care and better quality of service in any industry, and I agree with that. I also think we have to be hesitant and very careful to understand that when these service lines come into other hospitals like an HCA or an Advent or an Orlando Regional Health, they can make money, even though they're nonprofits as well sometimes, they'll be making money because they'll take all the cardiac care victims that are on the south side of the community, which in turn pushes more people who had injured health care and inequities to come to Lakeland Regional, which that takes more care and more money to do. So it's not as, it's not as simple as, no. you know, it's going to breed quality and it's going to breed 
um, competition so well. If you look at Tampa General Hospital over in Tampa, uh, volume does drive quality. So the volume of, you know, harsh emergency room visits that they have at Tampa General, that's why they're such a great trauma center, right? They have a graduate medical assist, uh, education program. They have lots and lots of interns that learn through USF Health how to be doctors. So quality drives, volume drives quality in the healthcare industry. But I just want to be very careful that when we're sitting at city commission and looking at this growth, that we have to consider things like Mrs. Phillipson is talking about. And we have to consider the cross, the, every side of it. That it can't just be, yes, it's going to breed, you know, better health service, which we hope it does, taking away the CON, that's the goal, right? But we can't guarantee that. It might still put an onus of indigent healthcare on one site and not on those other sites. So that is not shared across the whole area and you're still continuing to have some inequity. All right, Sarah, I think uh, Carol wants to address. Yes. yes, she does. Any hospital that takes Medicare or Medicaid is required to provide indigent healthcare services. They can't just serve the private patients, the insured patients. They are required. So Orlando Health will have to take indigent care patients. This, this seems like it's going to be a continuing conversation, right? We're going to take the gloves, well, no, but we're going to move on a little. So did a little bit of um, research, and what I found, um, Barry, that cities that have been effective at addressing the issue of smart growth, they preserve open space, natural beauty, and critical environmental cares. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Polk County This Week. Thank you to Barry Friedman, founder of LakelandNow.com, for providing us with the audio for today's program. Find the rest of the forum at the website, LakelandNow.com. Polk County This Week is a public affairs presentation of Hall Communications.